Hello, and welcome to Furlough, Defining Moments Worth Talking About. I'm your host, Leonard Cochran, and of course, we have Steve Otterstrom with us here today. Well, Steve, I hope you had a great Christmas, and I know we are pre-recording this, so we haven't broken into the new year yet, but it is oh so close. It is just around the corner, and um, I think like many people, I'm ready to put 2020 behind me. Um, although <laughs> it's just a number, it's just a date. <laughs> it, um, it is kind of amazing, isn't it? That I, I, I was thinking about the fact how crazy it is by just flipping the page on a calendar or putting another X on the calendar. It really shifts our perspective of things. And yet, if, if I was in a coma and just woke up and you told me today was the last day of the year, I would be no wiser for it. I'd still have that same anticipation. Yeah, so, yeah. Very interesting how our... Our minds need to have those milestones, you know, yes. to, to let us know, hey, it's okay to be hopeful again, even though <laughs> why would it make any difference? Like, why not just pick tomorrow as my day to be hopeful again? <laughs> exactly. Well, that's, that's where my mind was with it. And I, I don't know, I'm, I, I might be a little nerdier than some, but that's what I was kind of thinking about. But uh, nonetheless, yeah, well, so. We, we, we celebrated Christmas, and I know at my end of the world, uh, we did, ours was pretty low-key and at home, as we mm-hmm. talked about in our last podcast to the end of the year yes, that we did the recording. Uh, so mine was pretty low-key. We did get out to see some of my wife's family and did that as well. So how, how, how did it work for you? You were, you were a little more sheltered, I think, than what... I was. We were, um, and and but on the same note, I found um, that although uh, Thanksgiving seemed to be easy to just make it a Zoom Thanksgiving, um, you know, for all the extended family and things, uh, I did find Christmas to be a little more difficult to do that. Like we we yeah. still did run around and uh, drop things off on people's doorsteps. I don't know if they gotcha. thought they might be contaminated and sprayed them with bleach and threw them away, but. <laughs> It was, it was one of those things we felt like we had to do. Um, <laughs> in fact, uh, you know, it was it was also um, interesting because with with my immediate family, we had during our Zoom call discussed how do we want to do presents this year? Do we want to? Yeah. In the past, we've drawn names because I have too big a family to buy everyone a present. Um, and this year, we said, you know what? Let's just write everyone write a heartfelt letter, you know, and send it out to everyone, which. Um, you know, for me, um, I thought, oh, you asked me to write. I, I think I would have rather just spent a lot of money. But um, yeah. <laughs> well, did you did you have to write something for everyone, or did you? Draw no, we we did kind of. Did, well, <laughs> ideally, it would have been something for everyone. But the truth is, I just wrote one really pathetic letter uh, that I, you know, made a lot of copies of. But then, you know, when when people drop them off, they you know include candy or don't tell anyone else <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah dear family member you are my favorite family member <laughs> nice um nice. but then you know, of course you feel like well i don't want to just drop a letter off we should maybe make some cookies or something like that uh but with that we, we didn't quite get time to make the cookies and i, I was thinking yeah. well what do i have and i looked around and you know this podcast started with us uh, being furloughed and then me eventually losing my job. And I had two boxes of logoed stuff, prizes that we used to give out when we went to go do hotel openings and things 
all yeah, a bunch yeah. of garbage that, you know, I mean, not garbage. It was beautiful things, all logoed. And so I like, I took all of those things and made little packages. So people got post-it notes and pens and, and all kinds of things. Um, I, yeah, a little bit of swag. And, and I also cleaned out the closet. So, um, <laughs> Well, that's, I think every Christmas, that's what we should do is we clean should do. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and my family learned just how cheap I am. I think most of them looked at me like, well, I didn't know things were so bad in the Otterstrom household. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, you know, my kids know me the best, of course. And, and if it weren't for my wife, everybody would probably get a card. So they're, they're glad that I'm married. And so we actually spend money. Otherwise, I, I think what you did would be awesome. Uh, yeah, I think the most interesting thing that happened at our Christmas is with my wife's family, we did Dirty Santa and a couple of folks, one of the families had been exposed to COVID, so they obviously did not come. Mm-hmm. And so we, we did FaceTime Dirty Santa. And that's interesting when you have uh, physically present, we had 16 people there and then four people, on, well, two people on the phone were playing, two adults and the, they have two children. Uh, so the two people on the phone were playing Dirty Santa, and it's really difficult to know when they stole something and when somebody stole something from them. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, I think in the end, we all had some some big fun anyhow, and uh, just uh, thankful that we had the time together as we did. And I, I know, again, we're recording this early. I have no plans for New Year's to speak of. It's generally... And it's nothing to do with 2020. I generally don't do much for New Year's anyhow. Uh, mm-hmm. Staying up to midnight is not on my wish list. It's just uh, <laughs> I, I, I love my sleep. So if I happen to be awake, I'm awake. If not, I'm not. So Yeah. Well, anyway, you know, you can always do, you know, New Year's from uh, another time zone. Yeah. Well, there you, you know. go. There you go. Because it's going to come whether I'm awake or not, I think. I so, hope so. I if, if it doesn't come and it's because you're asleep, we all know who, who to blame. Yeah. Well, and and I do want to tell our, our listeners that I know the last time we did it, we, we told them that we weren't going to be doing one until the new year. Um, yeah. Uh, and I don't want them to think we're liars. Um, no, <laughs> and even though this is pre-recorded, but, but I think I, I, it's a great way of just like going into why we're doing this, uh, that we actually uh, came across really a phenomenal um, guest to have on our podcast and we didn't want to wait, you know? So, um, and and maybe Leonard, you can, you can tell them a little bit about, uh, about how, how this podcast came about and how you came to know Mike. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I've mentioned several times that uh, LinkedIn is kind of my social media of choice. And so I saw a great article posted, a mutual friend had clicked on it. Well, I found out it's a mutual friend. Somebody uh, somebody that I know had clicked that they liked the article. And I read the article and it was on uh, presenting. Uh, it's big presentations in small rooms. And, and it was just a brief little article with some great presentation skill tips. And uh, so I thought, yes, it's interesting and clicked the links around, kind of snooped and who the guy was and a guy named Mike Gibson posted the article. And I found out that lo, lo and behold, he's actually written a book and in the process, it's, it's in the process of getting ready to be released. And uh, I just liked what I saw in Mike. And so I actually reached out to him and we had a chance to connect and, and uh, talk to each other over the holiday break that I'm taking from work. And I just thought he'd, he'd be a great guest to have with us. So I want to, um, first of all, 
This is Mike Gibson. So, Mike, thank you for joining us today. It's, it's a pleasure to have you here with us. Well, thank you, man. I'm so excited to jump into this conversation. I appreciate you reaching out to me. Yeah, absolutely. And and so, again, uh, Mike had posted this article, and we'll get to the book and all that just a little bit later. Uh, but I just felt like Mike uh, kind of shares some of the same uh, experiences that Steve, you and I have. And the idea of writing a book, which you and I are still working on our own. And so I just thought he'd have had some fun things to add to us today. So, Mike, if you would, for our audience's sake, give, give a little bit of your background. I know you, you shared with me that you've been in the training world for a lot of your adult life. So if, if you would just kind of summarize sure. some of your background and, and then we'll dive into the book just a little bit later here. Sure, sure. So uh, the common thread through all of my uh, adult uh, experience, my professional experience is, is teaching. Uh, I started off working with public schools and churches uh, at the same time. Uh, and then I worked uh, primarily with churches for a while. And then I, I moved from there into working with nonprofits. And, and what I've done for the past 12 or 13 years is corporate and municipal training focused mostly on customer service competencies and supervisory leadership. Uh, so through it all, uh, teaching has been the common thread. Training has been the common thread. And each each step along the way has informed the next step. So I feel like I do what I do now better because of the experiences that I've had in other settings. Mm, that's great. And talk just a little bit. I know it's, it's an interesting thought for me to, you talk about training municipalities there and, and so you're talking city governments and things like that correct yes right that's right so, that's right and, and i typically don't think of much training in that area um i i know you just kind of real high level covered it talk, talk to that just a little bit though what how how did they find you and what type of things would you typically do just to kind of further clarify that if you would Sure, sure. Uh, well, while I was working with a nonprofit through fundraising activities, I met a person who was uh, the owner of a company that uh, part of what they did is provide training for municipalities. So, so through that connection, I discovered that there was a need for more facilitators and trainers in that world. And so at, at that time, I was like you. I was like, OK, I didn't even know that was a, a thing. Uh, but very quickly became aware of the fact that, yes, yes, it is. It's a big part of many municipalities' professional life that, that their employees go through training to help them uh, do better at the, the calling that they have to serve the public. Mm -hmm. uh, it makes perfect sense. I, I think that's one of the things that's kind of interesting about careers sometimes is you, you begin to peel back layers and find out there's so many different uh, people involved in differing areas that you just wouldn't otherwise think. So, yes, yes, things are very, very interconnected, and I think it's interesting because, of course, you know, you found yourself in this training environment, either in you know with with uh, nonprofits, with corporations, and um, but it all started out with you in the public school system, and maybe even before that. Right? Why? Why a teacher? Why? Why not? Um, a stockbroker or a doctor or, you know, <laughs> what, what, what made Mike want to be a teacher and, and, you know, what made you keep being a teacher? Maybe, maybe we go back a little further and, right, right. and, and, 
and hear your origin story. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I guess it's always been just a part of, of who I am, the way that I'm wired. I love uh, learning and then sharing what I've learned. Mm-hmm. And to, to the extent that sometimes it's a little, if I can't think in terms of what am I going to do with this information or who am I going to share it with, it makes it more difficult for me to be interested in it in the first place. I just think about information in those terms. So even when I was in, in high school, it was, it was interesting to me to take advantage of opportunities that I had to, to co-teach uh, in the elementary schools, uh, mm-hmm. just, just as an elective to see what that was like. So it's always been just a, an interest of mine. I just think in those terms of wanting to learn something. And part of the reason for learning it is so I can share it with other people. Do you find that, you know, part of your learning cycle, like it doesn't, I found that many times I prepare for a class, prepare for a class, prepare for a class. And then it's only once I teach it that I'm like, wait, I'm getting it now. <laughs> do, yes. do you ever have that yes. experience? Oh, yes. Yes. And it, it's funny. Sometimes I think students uh, uh, in my trainings, even now, uh, they'll kind of get a chuckle out of me as the teacher having a light bulb moment. You're going, oh, wow, you know, and headed to the whiteboard or the chalkboard or whatever. Let's connect these dots and figure this out. Yeah, yeah. that's so true. That's fun. Yeah, oh, I, I think that's definitely from somebody in the learning profession, just as you are. I think that's definitely a part of the joy of the profession is uh, seeing that in other people and having that experience ourselves even now. So that's great, Mike. And it's so cool that you like discovered this, like when you were that young, you were in high school and you were already enjoying um, teaching. So maybe, maybe take us to that next step. Did did you, you didn't go into college, like already, you know, majoring in teaching Um, or, or was there, was there still something else that had to happen? Well, in, in college, when I first started into college, I thought I wanted to do physical therapy, um, which is a whole other direction. But part of the reason for that, well, the reason for that was because I had a knee injury my junior year of high school. And during physical therapy, you know, I appreciated the help that they provided, but they just seemed to have such a good time together. So I thought, well, I'll just go into that. Well, then I got married, uh, spring break of sophomore year of college. And the way that the system was set up for physical therapy uh, was where you could be sent anywhere for months at a time. Um, and the way our finances were at the time, it was like that just wasn't going to, to work. And so that was, that was, that was a game changer for me. That was kind of a furlough moment for me to Mm -hmm. think, well, do I, do I want to continue in that direction or do I need to change direction? Well, teaching had always been attractive and I had already started uh, in a seminary. So I was already a year and a half into seminary. Um, And so that seemed to be a natural fit. Well, well, maybe perhaps I should teach and then, work with churches who cannot afford to have someone full-time. So I'll teach that'll provide part of my income. I'll work with a church that'll provide another part of the income and, and together uh, that will provide um, a reasonable income 
for me. So there was a shift there. <laughs> you, you hesitated there when you said reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> that was a meaningful pause. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just hearing your career path and thinking, gosh, this guy did not go out for the get rich quick scheme. That's no, sure. no, that's true. Or get yeah. rich in any cost. In anyway, right. Yeah. Yeah. Physical therapy, there is some money there, but there, boy, that's you, true. You I blew that one right out of the water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that really shows what your heart is, though, uh, making the choices you did, Mike. So that's, that, excuse me as I rip you on that, but that's great. No, that's funny. And, and, you know, that has been, and it's just a part of how I'm wired. It's not in any way like, a self-righteous morally it's just i would rather have meaningful work and adventurous life than high income i yeah i just truly would rather have that and so it that's that's never been a source of regret for me like i could have had so much i man the life that i've had has been so meaningful and adventurous and such a wild ride and it, let me ask you this, Mike, as, as you say that, it triggers a thought. I, I know uh, dealing, uh, my children are grown now, but so oftentimes when they talked about career choices, one of the things I've said, and, and maybe it's just because of the being the age I am, uh, I've told my kids, you know, I, I think at this point in life, I could be happy collecting garbage because it's more the mindset that matters than what the, mm, yes. what the work is sometimes. Is that are you kind of feeling that yourself? I know you said meaningful and obviously right, we right. do want to make sure we're contributing something, uh, right. but you know, somebody's got to pick up the trash too, for that matter. That's right. Right. So is, that, is that kind of uh, your idea as well? Or yes, yes. Well, and that, that image of, you know, being the person who picks up the trash or the garbage collector or whatever brings to mind one of my favorite video clips that I would use in teaching in municipalities because some of them drive the trash truck. Sure. It was a clip of a guy and he's, 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 uh, he is, he's operating the big street sweeper mm. and he's going through a neighborhood and you can kind of see it coming as he's coming down the street out on the street is a lot of, of uh, sidewalk chalk artwork and a little girl standing on her driveway, looking at that artwork and looking at the street sweeper coming up the road. <laughs> and as the street sweeper gets right up on it, he lifts the brooms goes over the sidewalk chalk, lowers the brooms again, and takes off. And the little girl jumps up and down and waves and says, thank you. And so that guy uh, found meaning in his work by being aware of what was going on around him. Like, I can, I can meet needs and I can connect with people in the work that I do. And so I think that we're kind of on the same wavelength there, man. It, give me a job and I can do it and find a way. Uh, to see the purpose and the meaning behind that in ways that I can use that, that work to, to serve people and to, and to see how that work uh, is a service to the larger group of people that, that we're serving in that moment. Well, I think we have a tendency so often just to put the value of whatever work it is or whatever job, we place that value on whatever it pays. Yes. And you know, you think about it. I mean, some of the jobs that pay the very most is take a stock broker, for example. And I'm not trying to diminish anybody or anyone's career, but when it all comes down to it, you're playing with adult Pokemon cards that people are deciding. <laughs> now, this stock has a higher value than that stock, even though 
many of those stocks will never pay a dividend, but it's still now it's worth a thousand dollars, even though it will never pay a dividend out. And the other one's worth, you know, um, it, it's just what people are willing to pay for it. And when the when it all comes to an end, yes, I'm not I'm not devaluating it from the perspective that that investment might make it so the company can grow and that provides new right, jobs. Yeah, but yeah. but in the end, what that person does trading those back and forth may never have the same impact as somebody lifting up the brooms as as they protect a little girl's um, char, uh, chalk oh, art and and her opportunity to artistically express herself. You know, so it, it really is interesting that it's uh, where, wherever we stand, we have an ability to do something great yes. regardless of how much it's valued monetarily. Right. Yes, I agree. And so much of that is a mindset. How am I going to approach work and how am I going to serve people through the work that I'm doing? I think sometimes when people feel a sense of emptiness or meaninglessness about the work, part of that might be because the focus has been so much on what it does for them rather than looking for what it does for other people. And then when the, the, uh, the income or the prestige fails to produce the peace that they're looking for or the meaning that they're looking for, uh, then it's, it's tempting to just say, well, this work itself is meaningless, uh, mm. rather than shifting the focus and saying, well, what does this work accomplish and how can I use that work? To, to benefit a broader group of people so that it's not just about me. It's about what I bring to the, bring to the table to help other people. And I think it's worth mess, mess, uh, mentioning, if I can get the word out right, is that that prestige always fails. Mm. You know, that it doesn't matter. Um, I mean, we, we can look at it even from the perspective of, you know, and, and I've had promotions where, you know, we, we, we popped a champagne bottle and we got really excited about it. And then three months later, you're looking at it saying, how can I move on to the next thing? It mm, gets yes. hollow really, really fast. And um, you can even look at, at world leaders and, and maybe looking back in time a little bit where you had these conquerors that went through conquering the world and every territory they conquered never mm. turned into, oh, I've got enough. Yes. It's always been, I need to get a little more. I need a little bit. And it always is a self-destructive pattern. Yes, that's so true. Yes, I love the work of Sean Acor uh, and, and that, uh, his work that he does on happiness and positive psychology and the, the scene that he paints of people always pushing happiness to the horizon and attaching the word if or when to it. I'll be happy when I get this, or I'll be happy if this thing happens, instead of being able to, to treasure the moments that we've been blessed with and the people that we're privileged to share those moments with. I uh, mean, that's, that's been a powerful realization for me because it takes it out of that realm of happiness being attached to mm -hmm. things like prestige or uh, income levels but really seeking to embrace the happiness in this moment that I'm in right now. Like, man, this is, I'm having so much fun getting to know you and having this conversation right now. This is, this is a gift worth unwrapping and treasuring in this moment right now is a good moment. It, it, it definitely makes a difference when you're enjoying the journey instead of the journey itself being the destination. 
you know, I, uh, I, yes. I know when I was younger, I, I thought I knew what I wanted to do. Uh, I'd actually went to culinary school and thought I was going to be a chef. And I spent 15 years in food service, never accomplished quite the direction that I thought I would go. Um, but so much of my younger years was spent pursuing a destination. And for me, I think it was uh, yeah. when I had children, I kind of woke up and realized, you know, I, I'm looking at this end game. In fact, I, I tell the story. I won't get into it here, but I sort of had my midlife crisis at the age of 33 because I hadn't accomplished okay, yeah. what I set out to. Oh, and looked yeah. around and realized, you know, I was pursuing that thing like you're talking about, Mike, mm. and uh, just was unfulfilled and realized now I have children, they're growing up. And, and I'm going to miss a lot if I don't get grounded in what's Ooh. on the journey itself rather than just focusing on that end goal. Right. Yes. Yes. Wow. And I just realized how that must feel like looking back on myself, you know, times when I was so focused on what was happening at work and so stressed about what was happening at work. And so obviously drawing my identity from work mm. um, and what that what that can communicate to our kids yeah yeah and they're like you yeah. know I'm, I'm do i count for something you know does does my presence fit into your equation of what's important oh my goodness yeah that's yeah. kind of a gut kick right there to, to think about you know the the, the long-term important relationships that we have in family and because so many times they're so stable and we can count on them, they're also so easy to to discount in favor of things that aren't going to be there maybe even tomorrow. You know, who knows? You know, that was such a moment for so many people when the pandemic hit, right? There's this immediate shift. And a lot of people who had found so much stability and identity in their work, well, then that work is gone. Well, what, yeah. what then? You know, where's the stability then? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and you bring out a good point and, and let's go ahead and kind of pivot on that point is sure. the pandemic. It did change our world and still changing it today, probably still. But right. I know right. we've shared multiple times Steve and I's story about furlough. And obviously that's where this podcast got kicked off is because of that. It might still just be an idea in our heads had that not happened to us. Um, right. So talk a little bit about how your experience, because you've shared some to me personally. Uh, so how, how did the pandemic affect you? I know part of it is it kind of gave you an opportunity to write a book, but kind of right. even before that happened, kind of talk us through that a little bit, if you don't mind sharing, Mike. Sure, no problem. Well, 2020 was shaping up to be a great year of training perhaps my my best year in 12 or 13 years of, of doing it. My calendar was full. Uh, and most of the time, the way my calendar had worked was uh, most of my classes were booked three weeks ahead of time. And it had always worked. But it was rare for me to have classes booked more than three weeks out. So it always came and always worked. For 2020, I had the whole year booked at the beginning of the year, which was rare. But with the clients I was working with, it was also very stable. So I was I was excited about 2020. I'd never had that much stability or that much, I guess you'd call, <laughs> I laugh now when I say it, guaranteed work yes. uh, for 2020. And then on March 13th and 14th, 
my email inbox was so I would I would just scroll scroll screen after screen after screen of cancellations and postponements that would later become cancellations and the entire year vaporized in that 48 hours so that was the first big furlough (laughs) and, and not to be insensitive but talk about how you felt at that moment if you would mike i mean that's that's your livelihood right you've got you you've already you know our, our conversation earlier was somewhat uh, about a meager income and i know you've you've probably right, advanced right. a little from that meager income the longer you've been in the career you have but what what did you think as you saw that mailbox fill up and as you begin to read email after email uh, can, can you kind of describe what was running through your mind and the emotion you felt i think it was the f- one of the first times where I had this thought that has come back to me repeatedly over the, the last what seven, eight months now that it feels like I'm living in a movie. This seems like the scene of a movie. This doesn't seem real. This seems like something I would observe or Mm -hmm. read about uh, in a book and, but it's, it's actually happening to me yeah Yeah. that was my first thought and then the second thought is what am i what am i going to do now where am i going to go now Uh, yeah i imagine your family was a little dependent on the uh, income right (laughs) yes yes we've been primarily a single uh, income household uh, for the most part throughout the years Uh, so it wasn't like you know our income had been cut in half it was like our income was gone and so it was, it was, a, it was a, a heavy feeling uh, over that period of time. And you were self-employed at that point too, right? So oh, yes. Yes. I know there was some unemployment that was, that was given to people who in the past haven't, haven't qualified for it, but you wouldn't right. have known that that was coming uh, right. at that point. And, and even so it, it's not the same amount that, that people who work for a corporation Boy, that pay, true. you know, those dividends that's into it. So even, even any relief right. that may have come to you wouldn't have come into this in the same quantity. That's right. Um, so there must have been a bit of a <laughs> taking the inventory and, and, <laughs> and, and seeing what, yes. I mean, what was, it was like, okay, we have enough inventory. Or was it was, it was like <sighs> FedEx mm. is hiring. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, having the, I have a, I have a lifetime teaching certification for state of Texas. Mm-hmm. So that's always been my ultimate fallback. I can, I can do that. Um, but it is, it has been so far down the list for me of things that I want to do at this point in my life. Mm-hmm. So that's still out there. I mean, I may still go back in into doing that. Um, and it, it was meaningful work, um, but it was so stressful. And I think during the time when I was doing it uh, during the 90s was less stressful than it would be today doing it. Um, so that I did have that. So that was a sense of peace. It's like, I know I can go back to doing that. Um, but what do I really want to do? And so then the question became, 
in this space that's just opened up, is there an opportunity that I should be taking advantage of? Because this, this is a unique moment in history. So what should I be doing with this unique moment? And so I considered different options and then realized that the option that I would have the most likelihood of regretting not taking advantage of it. Does that sentence make sense? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, was the, the bucket list item and the potential future income product of writing a book and developing a product line around that book. And so after thinking of some other things, I decided I'm going to focus on this book. And tell us a little bit about this book. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, most of my work uh, has been with groups of 20 people or less. Uh, through, throughout my, throughout my, uh, experience. Of course, there were, there were times when I was doing a lot of work with, uh, that involved larger groups, but even during that time, when I was working with larger groups during the week, I was working with smaller groups. Uh, so the, the vast majority of my work has been with small groups of people in small rooms. Now, at the same time, I was also thinking about products that I'd seen and resources that I myself had looked for. So, so for example, you know, I'd, I'd reached the point in uh, facilitating and training where part of my work involved training other trainers, teaching people how to facilitate well and how to present well. Uh, and once again, for those trainers, it was working with small groups of people in small rooms. And so I would go looking for resources. What, what is out there that really equips people to function well in that environment? And what I discovered was uh, that the concept of presenting in small rooms is addressed in many different resources, but it's always just given a chapter or two. That most of the emphasis was placed on big presentations in big rooms. Mm-hmm. So there seemed to be a space uh, in the, the business bookshelf for there to be a book that is unapolog- unapologetically focused on delivering big presentations in small rooms. Well, you so know, it's was... interesting. Yeah, because it's so often it's, I, I, I can't count how many presentations I've been to on how to deliver in a high stakes scenario, you know, where you've got uh, this, you know, large, large numbers of people and what i find interesting about what you're talking about is is what you're describing i think is what most people are more likely to encounter yes you know outside of us in the training world we might get more opportunities to be in front of larger groups most people are going to have a small presentation that they give to a a work group that they work with or or a church group like what you you talked about in your early um, experience, or maybe even just a, a presentation, maybe not formally, but to to family, um, yes. in in deciding what what are we doing with um, whatever situation you might be might might encounter. So it's interesting because these are actually to me, I think, the highest stakes 
situations are our small group interactions because we can actually make a difference uh, yes. rather than these yeah. large ones. And that's where we have this gaping hole where there's not much scholarship. Right. Yes. Yes. And even in those big room presentations, much of the time, the content and the direction of the big presentation in the big room is decided on in a small room. Mm. The small room presentation or the small room discussion is often what dictates what's going to happen in the big room. So there, there's a lot of power uh, that is contained in those small room discussions. So if we lead those well, wow, there's so much, um, uh, there's so much influence uh, in those small rooms. And that's, it, you just used the word that I was thinking of, Mike, as, as you were talking about it and describing it, and, and even the question Steve was talking as you guys talk, is the influence the, the, the power of the small room is the influence. So whether yes. it's my presentation or I'm the one that's listening to somebody who wants to do the presentation and, the, you know, it's, oh, that's, right. that's where the decisions are made, I guess. So that, that's an interesting concept. Yes. Uh, it's really yes. Interesting. And so as you went through this and, and looking at, you know, the small group presentations, what, what are some, like, maybe some, I mean, we don't want to ruin the book for anyone. No spoilers. All right, all right. <laughs> you know, but what are, what are some of the, um, what are some of the key things or maybe some surprises that you discovered as you were researching and writing this book? What are some, uh, some key takeaways that maybe some people could use right away in, in their more intimate discussions? One of my favorite concepts that comes out early in the book um, is captured with a phrase this ain't Ted. <laughs> We're not preparing for a Ted talk here. And so we can relax a little bit because your presentation is not meant to be scripted perfection like a Ted talk. And of course now Ted talks have been around long enough that you'll even see a lot of, of people posting videos that are making fun of the overly scripted deep thoughts of a Ted talk. It's too <laughs> slick. And sometimes when things are too slick, it's easier to tune them out. So perfection isn't the goal with a presentation to a small room. Connection is. And so I think that can allow people to relax more as, as they do the work. There is work involved, but the work isn't to be slick. The work is to be authentic and well-prepared. I that's, love that. That's great. Yeah. And yeah, and I know, I know Leonard, you, 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 you said some of Leonard's um, like buzzwords, <laughs> things that if you really <laughs> want to get, if you want to get Leonard excited, you bring up connection, collaboration, <laughs> there we go. Know, yes. Um, community. What, what's, what's the third one I'm missing? Conversations. Leonard? Conversations. Conversations. There you there go. go. I'll start Absolutely. with C. And, uh, and they get Leonard really excited. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I mean, you're, you're, you are, uh, admittedly, Mike, you're speaking my language here because, well, good. you know, we, we do, we live in such a culture, uh, society, globe, whatever you want to call it as human beings, where we have 
come to the point where it's all about the shiny and glossy. It's all become mm. about the volume of noise. You know, we have the internet, so we have more information than ever. Yeah. And so how do you know, that attempt of being heard, we either go slick with it or we go mm. radical with it and we become this extreme, uh, but yet yeah. the real power, the genuine power is when we make a connection. Yes. You know, just just as you and I have done, right? We right. made a connection through a simple posting, and now we're building on that connection and the power that's, right. that's there. And I, it sounds as though that's kind of what you're addressing as you talk about that book, Big, big Presentations. Right. Yes, yes. And, and building that connection is something that um, is continuing to happen during the yes. presentation, not yes. just beginning to happen. So like we had conversations before this podcast was recorded and because of those conversations, this conversation is better. And with big presentations and small rooms, that same principle applies. If you can connect with people and already have a sense of, of rapport, uh, you know, mutual trust and mutual affinity with people before the presentation, then the presentation itself is going to go much better you know it's interesting because i i remember um early in my training career especially once i started traveling and traveling is unique because you arrive at your destination and you have you know no no time you need to immediately become best friends with everyone that comes in and um you know and i remember I, i i learned early on that how important it was for me to learn everyone's name Oh, yes. I'm so bad at it, you know, that um, my trick was always as each person came in, I would introduce them to the people who had already come in. Yes, that's good. Yes. yes. Get an opportunity to say that person's name over and over and over and over again. So by the time, you know, person number 15 comes in, I said person number one's name 15 times and, you know, several of the others in there. Brilliant. Even when they all knew each other. I would introduce them and they would yes. laugh at it. Um, right. But it was yes. a way of, of learning their names. And um, and I discovered early on that by doing even just that one thing and having that conversation and knowing a little bit about them, you almost couldn't fail because yes. everyone in there was now invested in you being successful. Right. Yes. Yes. That is so true. And there's a sense of positive accountability that's built into the setting when as you are talking you can call somebody by name to ask them a question or make a reference to something that was said when you first met somebody and call them by name and say yeah you know as as steve and i were talking before class we hit on this one idea here wow that everyone kind of perks up and looks to the front like, wow, this person, this person knows us. Yeah. Well, and that, and that we care about them. And I think that's something too, that goes into, you're talking about authenticity early on and um, you you can't fake that you care about people. I I know like (laughs) for me, when I try I, real hard, I, I, and, and, and you do real well, you fooled me many times, Leonard. (laughs) I thought he really does care, but you know, in talking about like imagining things before a presentation starts, you know, a lot of times I'll talk to people how they, they imagine themselves presenting. And I do imagine myself that, but really a lot of it, and it sounds really stupid, but 
I just think about how much I like these people. Oh, yeah. Even if I don't yes. know them, you know, taking that time, like, I'm so excited to share this with them. I'm so excited to see them get excited about it. And then by the time it's done, you actually do feel it. You know, you really do legitimately care about the people that are in there. Yes. Yes. And, and with that sense of determination of treating people well, uh, even when they're not going to give it back to you. There are going to be times when you have someone in your class or, you know, in that small room with you who has perhaps even made up their mind ahead of time that they're not going to like this content and they're not going to like you and their body language and the way that they interact or refuse to interact is going to reveal that. And the way that you respond and engage in those situations, um, is as much for everyone else's benefit as it is for that one person. When you can treat people with, with respect while staying focused on where you need to go with this presentation, uh, that makes a difference for everyone else who is hearing these conversations happen. So that sense of uh, authenticity Eve, and, and truly caring about people, even when they're not reflecting that to you, it, that's a difficult thing to apply. But man, it carries so much weight when we can do it. That's rich. Well, and I already just love that name of that title. This ain't Ted. <laughs> I feel like there must be some other like. I feel like there must be some other chapter titles. I just want to know the name of because I, I see you as a very creative person, and, and, and that that says it so well. Like, don't try and be Ted. Don't try and be. Don't try and right. be Mike or Leonard or Steve yes. either. Yes. You know, right. be you. Unless you are Ted, then be Ted. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite sayings is just be yourself unless you're a jerk. In that case, be someone else. Be someone for the else. most part, just be yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike, you, you've got a lot of great wisdom here. I, I, I'm just looking at notes. I've jotted some thoughts down as we've talked and my gosh, you, you've covered some ground, but before I share my notes though, and, and summarize a few of my thoughts, um, Go ahead and out, outright plug your book for a minute. Make sure okay, I've got sure. the name right. Tell tell us what the name is. <laughs> okay. I, I know it's yet to be released. Uh, you've got right, an electronic right. version. you got an audio. you got print coming. So what, right. whatever dates you can share and sure. how we can find all this. Uh, go, okay. Go ahead and, now, now's your yes. commercial break. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so the book is titled Big Presentations in Small Rooms. And it is... It is already available on Amazon to pre-order. It will be released on January 15th. Uh, by that time, the print book should also be an option there on January uh, 15th. There's some behind the scenes things that have to happen that are different for print than, than ebook. So those are being taken care of as we speak um, so that both of those should be available on the 15th. The, the ebook for sure. I mean, it's already up there. It's just being released on the 15th. The print book is there. The uh, audio book through Audible, um, I do not have control over when that is released. It has already been sent to retail, but I do not get to dictate when that uh, is released. So I would love for that to, to come out by the 15th, uh, but I just have to wait and see along with everybody else when it actually... <laughs> 
when actually that button becomes hot <laughs> on yeah. Amazon uh, to be able to purchase that as well. So there should be those three things available, ebook, print book, and audio book on Amazon. All right. So big presentations in small rooms, January 15th, it goes live. Yes, We can pre-order right. it now. And then right. Audible, is, we'll just say coming soon. How's that? <laughs> yes, there we go. I like that. Coming soon. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Well, let, let me kind of reflect for just a moment here. And, and thanks so much, Mike, for joining us today. Again, I just appreciate your messaging and, and the way you deliver it as well. Thank um, you. Some of the things that I've jotted down, and Steve, I, I'm, I'm anxious to hear what you've got. Uh, you may well have captured some different things. But uh, one, of the, the, one of the first things you said that leaped at me, Mike, was to be aware of what is around you. Uh, mm -hmm. You talked about that street sweeper. And just how much of life passes us by where we're not paying attention to what's around us. And I know I'm mm, as guilty yes. or more guilty than a lot of folks. I'm a very task-oriented individual. Anybody that gets an instant message from me or an email from me typically gets... The only reason mm. I have a header that says, hello, when, how are you doing, is because I make myself do that. I'm, I'm all about, <laughs> here's what I need from you, or here's what you go, I yes. can do for you, you know? Uh, so be aware of what's around you. Uh, and you've got a real theme of serving people and mm, what you're talking yes. about. And that seems to almost be the center of meaningful work. And yes. I like that. Um, Mindset matters. You mentioned that. Just a quick blurb I have written there. Um, is this an opportunity for this moment in history? Mm. And I think that's great. We uh, again, this podcast itself is a result of the pandemic, and and so we can certainly relate to that as well. Uh, the reminder that influence really happens in those small groups. I know, uh, especially I think maybe those of us that are in the uh, training world or and folks that do public speaking quite frequently, we tend to feel the bigger the audience, the better it is sometimes. You know, I can, I can talk about the varying audience sizes that I've spoken to, mm, yeah. uh, but it's great, uh, maybe humbling sometimes, but it's really great to remember the real influences in those smaller groups. And so I appreciate that reminder as well. See what what uh, what thoughts do you have here before we? You know, on many many of those same things you just brought up, um, but I think just one thing I want to add, and that is, you know, um, what Mike uh, said earlier, connection is the goal, and mm -hmm. and I go back to even the it's such a powerful example. You're talking about the the street sweeper, and just thinking as we go around doing our good in the world, we often have a tendency to not lift our brooms mm. <laughs> when, no, when, yeah. when somebody is, has their own authentic self out there. Cause we feel like our good is the greatest good. And mm. what a, what a, what a great uh, thing to be aware of when we connect with other people, it gives us that opportunity once in a while to lift our brooms <laughs> and Correct. not yes. let our good be bad. Um, <laughs> I like that. And uh, you know, I, I think one of the things that I would I'm going to reflect on when this podcast is over is is just thinking about you know what part of me is trying to be Ted and what part mm, of me is yeah. trying to be Steve and it's not that we shouldn't look to other people and gain from their perspectives uh, 
but no matter what, it always has to come through us and we have to feel right, good yes. about what we do at the end of the day. So it was just such a pleasure uh, speaking with you, Mike. And, and I, I think it, it's given me plenty to reflect upon, you know, as, as, uh, as we move into, I know people listening to this have already been into the new year and they know how wonderful 2021 is, but you know, for the rest of us that are still back in time, you know, just, a, just, just a, a lot of great things to ponder on as, as I, as I get prepared for that artificial marker that says now it's time to be optimistic again. Yes. And I do have, I, I have one bonus question, Mike, selfishly, sure. since Scott, Steve and I are in the process of writing a book ourselves. I would love to hear uh, what what what's your biggest takeaway, your biggest learning from having written this book, if you don't mind sharing that with us. That it is so much more difficult and fulfilling than I thought it would be. It was a it was both a humbling and an empowering experience. Um, and so as I think about writing the book, I'm thinking about not just the content of the book itself, but structuring it and then transitioning into turning it into to audio book and all the complications of that. Um, so much of my work over the years has been independent. I do it and I figure out how to do it. And I very rarely ask for help. And I could not write the book without asking for help. And I could not do the audio book without asking for help. And that was a humbling experience for me, but it was so good. It deepened some relationships, created some new relationships, and I learned a lot. Uh, it forced me to stop being so independent and to be willing to, to pick up the phone or send an email or make a connection so I could receive the help that I, I needed or else the book would not have, have happened. Mm. Well, well, Mike... Mike Gibson, folks, uh, so appreciate your time today and uh, really, really honored to be able to kind of be one of the partners to announce it's coming on January 15th. Uh, this podcast will go live before then. So I trust our audience will check that out on Amazon. So just just th appreciate your words and what you've shared with us and uh, certainly look forward to ongoing connection relationship with you. At oh, this me point, too, me too. And at, at this point, we'll uh, pause for the cause, as always, and, and give a shout out to our sponsor. And before I do mention them, just a reminder to our audience, you're always welcome to reach out to Steve and I at furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. Uh, drop us a note. Let us know what you think. And love to hear your responses to what Mike has said today. And certainly, I'll be glad to pass that on to him as well. So again, that's furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. And then lastly, uh, Steve already mentioned the four C's that I'm passionate about, and that's what Upwards Unlimited is all about. Uh, those four C's are conversations, connection, collaboration, and community. And if it weren't for Upwards Unlimited sponsoring us, we would not be sharing with you today. So take a moment and check out Upwards, W-O-R-D-S, unlimited.com. And I know that you'll uh, enjoy what you see there. At least I hope you will. So with that, folks, we want to wish everyone a happy new year. I know you've already celebrated by the time you're hearing this, uh, but some great, great things to ponder on as we enter into the new year. As Steve said, it really is just a matter of turning a page and it's a mindset. So let's just hope we all maintain a positive mindset in 2021 
and implement some of these things we've talked about today. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>